Today we will look at sensory perception. Sensory perception. Under sensory perception, we intend to look at the ability to receive and interpret sensory impressions through sight, that is our vision, through hearing, that is our, our auditory um, canal, through touch, tactile, through smell, olfactory, through taste, gustatory, and movement or position, what we call kinesthetics. So kinesthetics is, is a science of movement or changes in position. That's why we call kinesthetics. Kinesthetics is K-I-N-E-S-T-H-E-T-I-C, kinesthetics. Now, sensory input affects consciousness, arousal, awareness, memory, affect, judgment, awareness of reality in our language. We discuss sensory perception, how we look at things, that becomes our vision. When you hear things through your ears, how do you perceive it? How your mind interpret what you've heard? That becomes auditory. When you smell things and what sort of smell you sense, or you, you sense, that become olfactory. Uh, 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 now, so we have um, all these different sensory perception. So they are important because when we are doing examination, all of these sensory portion in our body become very much active in our assessment. You can smell an odor and know that there is maceration taking place or tissues are damaged and tissues are gotten like a necrotic. You can know that. You can smell an infection. You can smell a wound and tell this wound is infected, this wound is a clean wound, this wound is a dirty wound. Just by the smell, you can be able to tell that when you do assessment. And you are also able to um, feel movement on your skin, on your body parts, and you can know exactly what is happening. That is true textile assessment. So if the skin is not feeling movement, if you touch my skin and I do not feel your touch on my skin, that definitely means I have some textile permeation. My nerve cells are not, or my neurons are not working well. So indeed, I do not feel the touches from other individuals. So a deficit in our senses is a change in perception. When we, when we cannot sense these different sensory perceptions, there's a change or there are changes occurring in our body, which will require further investigation. Um, when we are also have what we call sensory deprivation, this reduces sensory input from internal or external environment. So if we are deprived of a certain sensory uh, perception, what happens to us is that we cannot get everything from the environment. Because in the environment, we must feel our environment, we must, we must understand our environment, we must uh, feel what is happening around us. We must know when, when, the, when the environment is warm, when we are in summer, when we get out, out of our houses, what happens to us? We feel the heat. 
we feel the humidity out there. When it is winter and we leave our house without wearing thick clothing, when we get out there, what do we feel? We feel coldness or the coldness of the weather out there. So all of these perceptions are for what we call our sensory perception. Now, under here, there are different contributing factors that lead to sensory deficit or sensory deprivation. Now, these are the factors that NCLEX wants you to know. These factors are very important in dialogue. When you remember, when you know these factors and you understand how the eyes work, you understand how the nose, the nostrils, the other thing, how you smell things, you understand how you interpret those perceptions, indeed, you will be able to answer questions in the NCLEX. But uh, on the other hand, if we fail to know these things, if we fail to understand this perception, it becomes difficult for us to understand our environment and then it gives us more problems in answering common questions on our sensory perception in the English. Now, let's look at vision laws. Now, under vision laws, there are a lot of things, a lot of factors that can cause us to have vision loss. You have to call press biopia. Press biopia is one of the causes that we can have loss of vision. That's one. We have cataract. We have cataract. These are all eyes conditions. Cataract can also cause vision impairment. We also have what we call glaucoma. When you have glaucoma, we have two types of glaucoma, which I want to understand the open angle and the closed angle glaucoma. And I want to understand the difference between an open angle and a closed angle. Every type has different features, and these features will make it um, uh, will will create distinction between the two kinds of glaucoma. Now, you also have what we call diabetic retinopathy. Diabetic retinopathy. Now, these are conditions that derive from other illnesses in our body, um, but also have a negative complicational effects on our eyes. So diabetes starts with an uh, imbalance in our metabolic breakdown or in our, in, the, in our blood sugar metabolism. It leads to other complications. And if it is not managed well, it leads to uh, diabetic retinopathy, where the retina of the eyes get damaged. And then unfortunately, we cannot see because of the diabetes um, condition or the diabetic condition. Then we have macular degeneration, another eye, con eye, eye condition, macular degeneration. Um, these conditions, I'm going to cut it in a, in a bit. These conditions, there are specifics that you need to know about this condition. You need to know how can one who has diabetic retinopathy can view object. One who has cataract, how do they view object? When we have macular degeneration, how do they view objects? These are where the anklets want you to know when it comes to this eye condition. You also have infection of the eyes can also cause this problem. Eye infection. You have eyes infection can, can cause uh, 
visual impairments. You have eyes inflammation, eye injury, brain tumor. You have eyes inflammation. Eye inflammation can also cause visual impairment. You have brain tumor. When you have brain tumor, where we are having an increased intracranial pressure, and uh, the 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 intraocular pressure will also increase because the brain um the, the brain is the conduct system of our body. When you have anything in the brain that is not supposed to be in the brain, that will put pressure on the brain, other surrounding tissues in the brain become affected. And when those tissues are affected, our our sensory organs in our body becomes also affected. So these are things that uh, we want to look at in specific as we go down. Now, then we will look at also the various kind of conductive hearing loss. We talked about few the other day. We'll look at the various hearing loss, hearing obstruction. Um, we look at wax accumulation, when serum accumulates within the ear. This can cause hearing loss. We talk about tympanic membrane perforation. When a tympanic membrane becomes uh, inflamed, that can also impair hearing loss. We talk about ear infection in the case of other media. All these conditions can also, they are all contributing factors that can cause hearing loss. And we talk about autosclerosis. These are all ear, uh, ear conditions that can impair hearing loss. Then we have the sensory, the sensory neural hearing loss. So all the ones we talk about, those obstruction, the autonomous media, ear infection, other conditions, those ones fall under conductive hearing loss. Now, the sensory hearing loss include when you've been exposed to loud noise for a long period of time, like those who work in those big uh, industrial areas where they have those big machineries. So those machineries, when you work in those factories for a long time, what happened to you is your ear is exposed to hearing noise. So when you get off work, when you come home, um, you cannot easily understand what other will say because you've been exposed to a long uh, period of noise. You also have like a other medication that can cause auto -to or toxic effect to the ear. Like you have those um those those amino glycoside. So um the sensory hearing loss, sensory, the sensory neural hearing loss, it is the hearing loss that has to do with our, our nerve cells, the critical nerve that controls our hearing. If that nerve becomes damaged, like the auditory nerve, critical nerve, it, it has direct impact on our ear. And other when we talk about other nerves that also contribute to hearing or also aid in hearing, when those nerves become damaged, it also leads to what we call um, sensory neural hearing loss. The conductive hearing loss are those con uh, is the kind of hearing loss that uh, you have like a uh, there is a direct impact from other condition directly to the ear, not involving the nerve that control the ear. Now, when we have a hearing problem or this sensory perception, you want to check for all deficits of communication. You want, you, you want to go ahead and check the client. When the client has hearing problem, 
You want to go ahead and look at the ear. Understand all the factors that control that, that, that might expose the ear to some deficit. If the client has visual problem, you want to, to assess everything that contributes to the client's visual impairment. If the client has smelling problem, you want to be able to look at assess everything from start to end, every other condition, every other body product that, that controls our senses. You want to be able to do uh, uh, an overall assessment on those part of the body. Then you want to also collect equipment that is indeed necessary for that particular body part. If it's the ear, you want to collect the other scope, the other uh, the ophthalmoscope and other material, other equipment that are necessary to assess that body part. Then you also want to make sure that every effort to communicate with the client who have sensory neural or sensory perceptual losses because they tend to withdraw from interaction with others. A client who has an eye problem, who has visual impairment, is not going to be happy to be among his or her friends who have who, who sees well and other things. A client who has auditory problem will not feel comfortable sitting with, 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 with his or her peers to discuss other things. So you want to create that self-worth, that self-esteem for client with these conditions. You want to be able to um, make the client feel that indeed he or she is part of a discussion that you are having with them. If it's a group therapy, you want to sit directly to a client, face-to-face, -face, a client who has hearing to, to see your lip and be able to read your lip. You want to talk to the client in a verb, or uh, as you talk to the client, let your lips pronounce the words and you take a time to speak to the client. The client can understand and read your lip and understand what you are saying to the client. These are important things you want to have when you are dealing with clients with hearing impairment or other, con or, 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 or other condition. You want to keep, um, you want to make sure the call lights are on for clients who have hearing or, or visual problem. You want to keep furniture clear to the path, to the bathroom, Client with eyes problem or, or, or visual problem. You want to make sure that their surrounding is not clustered up with materials. The floor, if the client is using a carpet or a rock in their house, the rock should be straightened. There is no problem with the rock. There is, there should be nothing that will cause the client to trip and fall. You want to prevent the client from fall and other things to clear their environment. You want to make sure um, for clients who are having like a hearing problem, you want to sit and feed the client, like I said. You want to avoid covering your mouth while speaking. You want to encourage the client. You want to encourage the client to use hearing devices. Speak to the client slowly and clearly. You want to make sure when a client has a hearing problem, you do not shout. Shouting cannot help a client with hearing loss. It will not confuse the client more. So when you are speaking to a client who has hearing loss, you want to be slow and clear when you are pronouncing words. You cannot shout at the client. The client might be shouting because when your ear are not working, you feel like your, your, your tune is very low. Just imagine when you are playing with a head through your ear or, or, like, a, or like this or airports, you put your ear. When you talk to somebody, you talk over your voice. You shout to talk. So that's what happens when you have hearing impairment. So, you want to be brief with the client in using sentences and words. 
You want to write down what the client did not understand. And you want to minimize the background noise. You want to ask the client for a sign language interpreter. If the client cannot understand you, you want to invite sound language interpreter who want to come in and help you to interpret for the client. You want to also um, make sure for the client who has a uh, visual impairment, you want to call the client by name before approaching to avoid startling at them. You want to call them by their name. Hi, hi John, call them by their full name. Hi, John Brown. My name is Amandu. I'm your nurse today. I'm going to be here today to work with you. Um, if you need anything, let me know. Uh, these are what I brought for you today. I, I have for you um, a radio or a music player. I'm going to put it at the right side of your bed. I have for you the cord light. I just cleaned it. It's on the left side of the bed. You want to communicate in order client to understand from their from an imaginary standpoint, how their room looks like. Your door to the bathroom is on the right side. If you get up your bed, you make a right, you, you, you make a right, two steps will take you to the bathroom. When you get to the bathroom, the left side, as soon as you enter the bathroom, the left side of the bathroom is the same to wash your face, brush your teeth. You want to describe the client surrounding so the client cannot have problem when it comes to moving around in his or her own house. Uh, in uh, in the hospital, you want to still the client uh, still in the client visual fee if they have a partial loss. Now, the condition we talk about, I think to those eye condition, the cataract, the macular degeneration. Now, all of these eye conditions have different eye eyes impairment. So, when a client is having like a partial visual loss. And the client, a particular portion of their visual fee is good. You want to stay within the portion of the visual fee that is good. If the client has peripheral visual or uh, visual impairment, you want to stay within the client vision or uh, where the client can see you directly. If the client has cataract or other condition, you want to make sure you come to the client closer as you discuss with the client. These are important things for the endless. You want to get the client specific information about location of acting, like I said. You want to explain interventions before touching the client. The client is not seeing you. So your touch could be therapeutic or it could be harmful for the client. And in nursing, we never touch a client without asking for the client permission. We never do that. So you want to tell the client, okay, my name is Amandu, I'm the nurse or I'm the CNA here today. I'm gonna come and help with your bare back, and I'm gonna come. I want. I want to. I'm gonna put your finger. I'm gonna allow you to put your finger in the water, and the water it is the temperature at which you want to do your shower in the bed. Now, these are things that you want to explain to the client before even initiating this procedure of the client. You want to make sure um, the client radio, the client television, the client CD player, or the other audio players are available for the client. When a client has visual impairment, describe the arrangement of the food on the chair before leaving the client room. Like I said, these things have to be described in the best way possible for the client. A client who have a client who has aphasia. For the client who has uh, aphasia, these individuals 
Um, you want, you want to greet them and call them by the name also. You want to make sure only, only one person speaks at a time. You want to speak to the client with aphasia clearly, slowly, using short sentences and simple words. Client who have aphasia, you want to speak to them using short sentences and simple words. You want to, you, you do not want to shout. You do not shout at client with aphasia. You pause between statements to allow time for the client to understand. When you make one statement, you want to pause. Take your time as you explain a procedure to the client who has aphasia. You want to also check for comprehension. While the client is understanding what you say or not, if the client is not understanding, you want to lower, you want to slow your, your, your pace. You want to make sure that your tones are correct. You are pronouncing the words how it should be pronounced. These are things you want to make sure for the client with aphasia. You want to also tell the client when you do not understand them. If the client is speaking to you and you do not understand what the client is saying, you want to tell the client in a respectful and a very civilized manner. You want to also reinforce verbal or you want, to, you want to also reinforce verbal with non-verbal communication, your gesture, your body language. Uh, can I come to you or you want to come to me? As you're speaking to the client, your hands, your body movement should go in now what you're saying. No. By saying no, as you're saying no, you want to, you want to lock your hair from left to right shoulder by saying no. If you want to say yes, you want to take your hair up, 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 up. you want to flex and extend your hair by saying yes or no. If you say, I'm not coming, you want to make sure that every other body part that will show that you are not coming to the client, let that be shown in your body posture or the way you are saying it. Because these individuals understand both verbal and non-verbal communication. You want to make sure that you use, uh, you allow plenty of time for clients to respond because it takes time for them to respond when they are having a patient. You don't want to be in a rush and go to them because it will take forever to respond to you. You want to also use method speech therapist implement. That is, those methods that are, because client of aphasia, they use the speech therapy recommendations. So you want to make sure that when you are speaking to the client, if the speech therapist uh, has posted in the client room a particular method of communication is what you want to use for the client who has a patient. You do not want to bypass what the speech therapist has asked to be used when it comes to um, when it comes to communicating with them. You want to make sure you you um, you want to acknowledge any frustration in communication because client of aphasia they are quick to become frustrated if you cannot understand or if they cannot put out what they want to say it is frustrating you you are having the thought to express what you want to express but your mouth your tongue cannot allow you to express what you intend to express it becomes frustrating and if the client becomes frustrated What's the next best response? The next best response is to acknowledge the client's frustration 
and find a way forward. Now, this thing is going to come in the endless. They're not going to come like how, I'm, like how we are reading from the book. No. If a client was efficient, sticking to you and the client became uh, the client became frustrated, what would the nurse do? Remember, any statement that you're going to choose in the nurse, nurse action should reflect the should reflect acknowledgement of the client in that in that statement. Sir, I understand I I I that you are frustrated, but let's see what we can do. You 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 have to come up with a more refined way of addressing the client problem along with an acknowledgement of the client frustration. Because you have to you have to let the client know that you have acknowledged their frustration because these are things the client wants to do, but unfortunately the client cannot do it because the client is having some problem with efficiency. The client is having efficient. Now, if a client has um uh risks for injury in the home environment. Teach the client ways to reduce the hazard at home. Remove throw rocks from the client weight that might prevent the client from fall. Keep walking path clear. Ensure that the client's stairways are well light and secure rails, side handrails are on the stair are on the stairways. These are things you want to make sure that these things are available and the client can use them. Adequately before we can even leave. Every time we place new things in the clients with visual impairment in their environment, we want to make sure the client is well oriented to those new things, equipments, furnitures, new things in their house. They need to have an orientation to those things because they they walk by imaginary vision, they walk by what they know. They do what they do. if the person that that door has a bar up when they are walking to the bathroom, they will put their hand up to touch the bar. The bar over the head at the bathroom door is a point of direction for them, like a GPS that helps them to move around. So whenever you change the bar, you put new bar. You want to allow the client to come in and touch the bar, feel the bar, and understand. A, 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 a clear description of that new bar that has been changed. These are things we're going to, we're going to make sure that, that the client becomes aware of it. If a client has auditory problem, auditory impairment, use flashing light versus a warning sound for alarms and doorbell. So if the client has hearing impairment, the client doorbell cannot be a sound that someone is at the door because the doorbell will ring for the next 100 years they will never hear the alarm the alarm should be a flashing light so when they see the light flashing in their face that will run that someone is at the door and they need to go and open the door and let the person in so with visual impairment cannot use light they will use sound for a doorbell Someone who has um, a fatal problem, smelling problem, make sure smoke and carbon monoxide detectors are in the house and they are functioning because when there's a smoke in the house, 
when there's a problem that will lead to smoke being in the house, they will not figure out that there's a smoke because most often we smell the smoke before we see the smoke. So if the client has smelling problem, we should always have carbon monoxide detector and smoke detector at all point in time that are functional. We make sure the batteries are changed every six months. These are things we want to make sure for individuals who have this sensory, uh, sensory impairment. They are important for the ankles. You have to do them. They might sound common, but they are very important for the ankles. For individuals who have a um, gustatory problem or impairment, you want to make sure you read expiration dates on food packages to avoid consuming contaminated or spoiled food products. You want to make sure you read every full label that this will get expired at this time and this because guess what their their taste boards are all damaged so they cannot taste a spoiled food so you want to make sure that they understand the the date of manufacturing and the date that particular food product will get expired so you want to make them to do that everything they pick up a food to eat you look at the date on the food. When you are placing food in the fridge, you want to put the date on the food. We cannot keep a food that has been open in the fridge like food we eat will make for more than 36 hours. We cannot do that. So, so when you open the food, put a date on it and place it in the fridge. When you have gustatory impairment, when your taste buds are not good, when your taste is not good in your mouth, you have tasting problem. You want to make sure you read the dates on food that you have in your fridge. Now, when you, when a client has textile problem, meaning they cannot feel touches on the skin, their skin, their neurons on the skin are not active; they are dormant, or they having paralysis, of, they having like a paralysis of the body part due to stroke or CVA or other nerve problem. The clients with such a problem should be protected. Their body should be inspected for lack of sensation, burns, pressure also, frostbite. Because if you have a tactile impairment, you cannot feel coldness, you cannot feel heat. So you can your hands can get burned and there will be a sore on your hand and you cannot feel the pain because your nerve cells are all dormant in those areas. Now, you also want to make sure that uh, they should avoid the use of hot of hot water bottles, labial faucets, hot and cold. You want to make sure the faucet is labial, H O T, hot and cold, C O L D, because this individual cannot feel the coldness of a water coming from the faucet to know it's cold or hot because there are nerve cells that should turn that indeed this, this water is cold or hot are all damaged. These are things you want to put into place for the client with a textile problem. And um, lastly, the patient can have what we call sensory deprivation and sensory overload. You want to minimize overall stimuli surrounding this sensory perception or this sensory impairment.
going to minimize the sensory stimuli for this impairment. You want to promote a proper room for this patient. You want, you want to have a minim, or you want to minimize the glare. You want to manage the client pains effectively. You want to allow for adequate sleep and rest periods. You want to amplify the phone. You want to have season. You want, you want to make sure the food is seasoned. You want to reduce unpleasant odor. These are all things you do when a client has sensory impairment. Any question? The first visual problem, vision loss. Now, so vis visual equity is the degree of detail client. Visual equity is the degree of detail clients can perceive in an image. Reduced visual equity can be unilateral, meaning it is one eye, or it could be bilateral, meaning that both eyes are affected. You want to advise the client with visual impairment to wear sunglasses while they are outside and protective eyewear while working in areas and attacks with risk of eye injury. You want to instruct the client to avoid rubbing the eyes, tell the clients to get an eye examination regularly, uh, most especially if the client is above 40 years. If a client has visual problem, you want, the, the, the one, you want to tell the client to always do eye examination when the client, when the client regularly, and, and, and it becomes frequent when the client is above 40 years. Because after 40 years, our vision never gets better. It will not, get, it will, it will not begin to get a bad, 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 and bad. So the client should be about on this thing. Now, age. There are factors that can cause visual impairment. Age. Age is the number one factor that can cause visual impairment. Now, age is the most significant factor. Next to age, you have eye infection, you have eye injury, eye inflammation, and you have brain tumor. These are all factors that can cause eye, eye impairment or eye impairment. Now, let's look at the first one, press bios. The first one is called press biopia. Now, you want to remember these words, this technology very well. Know the meaning for the endless. Press biopia. It is an eye impairment due to aging. As one as one progresses in age, your eyes will begin to fill you gradually as you get older. So, press biopia is an age-related loss of the eyes uh, to focus on close objects due to decrease, uh, decrease what we call, the eyes has elastic. So, as you get older, the elastic in the eye become weaker. And as the elastics become weaker in the eyes, the eyes cannot see well. That is what we call the press biopia. So it is decrease in the eye visual equity due to aging when the eye elasticity is reducing with age. Now, then we have cataract. So in cataract, number two is cataract. Cataracts. 
So in Qatar, there is what we call an opacity. There is an opacity of the eyes. Um, in camera condition, the lens of the eyes will create opacity, which blocks the entry of light rays into the eyes. And when the eyes become opaque, light rays cannot enter the eye. So you will see that uh, clouding, discoloration that will cover the eyes. It's what we call cataract. So light rays cannot enter the eye in the case of cataract. The, 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 the eyes will have a shield, a blanket of demarcation that demarcates our real environment, our real atmosphere from our visual field. So that whitish or that uh, due, uh, that clouded um, that clouded coloring will come over the eyes, and the eyes cannot see well. Then we have glaucoma. The third one is glaucoma. In glaucoma, it's an eye problem wherein the structural there's a structural damage within the eye resulting from elevated pressure within the eyes leading to blindness. So in glaucoma, what happens in glaucoma, there's a structural damage that will lead to increased intraocular pressure of the eyes. So the structural damage will lead to the eyes to have an increased intraocular pressure if this happens, the eyes would not be able to maintain its vision well. It will lead to blindness. Then we have the fourth one, which is the diabetic retinopathy. Retinopathy. Now, in the diabetic retinopathy, um, it is non inflammatory condition the eye is not inflamed it is non it is non inflammatory condition now whenever the whenever the endless material states differences or different means of uh, looking at something you want to pick it up very fast in this condition the eyes the eyes wouldn't get inflamed it is non inflammatory condition of the eyes what happens in this case, um, there will be changes in the eye's blood vessels. So the eye has thousands, if not millions of blood vessels that supply blood to the eyes. Now, these blood vessels will become damaged due to um, changes in blood uh, supply. When these changes occur, it leads to damage of the retina of the eye. In the case of diabetic complication, that's why it is called diabetic retinopathy. The, 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 the blood vessels, those arterials and those venous, those capillaries of the eyes that supply blood to the eye, those blood vessels become altered. There will be an impairment in regular blood supply to the eye. That will lead to um, diabetic retinopathy. It damages the, 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 the retina of the eyes. That's what happened in the case of this condition. Then we have macular degeneration. We have macular 
degeneration. In this eye condition, there is a loss of central vision. Now, in this eye condition, it is where when, when you are looking at an object, you will only view the perimeter of that object. So if I'm seeing somebody, there will be a huge darkness in the central portion of my vision. So take for example, I'm looking at this ball. This is a ball I'm looking at. So if I'm having macular degeneration, I wouldn't see the middle of this ball. This, this entire portion, this entire central portion of the ball will be dark or be black. Because in macular degeneration, the central portion of your vision is damaged. But you have the ability to see the perimeter or the surround or the peripheral vision remains intact. So in this condition, you have an intact peripheral vision, but you have a damaged central vision. In the case of macular degeneration, de de this will occur in here because the retina become damaged and it is just the center of the retina will become damaged. So when you have these problems, you're gonna have frequent headaches, you're gonna have frequent eye straining, you will strain your eyes to read, to look at things, you have to strain your eyes. You will have blurred vision, you will have poor judgment of death, you will have diplopia, meaning your eyes will have double vision. You're gonna have, um, you, you, you have to close your one eye to look at an object. Those are all things you're gonna see when the client have these problems. You have poor eye or hand-eye coordination, meaning your, your eyes cannot coordinate. Both eyes will have poor, like you wanna see an object, you have to close one eye to see that object. The two eyes, when they remain open, that object cannot be visualized appropriately. That's, that, that's what's going to happen in this case. And there are other procedures we can do. There are so many different procedures when you have this eye condition. We want to. Let's look at some of the procedures we do when we have an eye problem. One, we want to do visual equity. We do visual equity to know the level of damages that have occurred in our eyes, of our vision. Um, in visual equity, we use one of the two charts. We use either the one, the snarling chart, or we use the Rosenbaum chart in visual equity. Please look at the snarling chart and the Rosenbaum. How do we use it? We use the snarling chart or the Rosenbaum chart. And it's right here. It's R-O-S-E-N-B-A-U-M, Rosenbaum chart. You want to also do a thermoscoping. We do another test we call it ophthalmoscoping. We do a thermoscoping test. In the ophthalmoscoping, um, in this ophthalmoscoping, it allows us to visualize uh, the back of the eyeball. And that area of the eye is called the fundus. So, ophthalmoscopy allows visualization of the back part of the eye, which is called the fundus, 
including the retina, the optic disc, the macula, and the blood vessel. So if we do a thermoscope of the eye, it helps to visualize the desktop portion of the eyes or the back part of the eyes. That back part of the eyes is what we call the fundus. So if we do a thermoscope, we are checking the fundus of the eyes. And the form of the eye includes the eye retina, the optic uh, includes the retina of the eyes, the optic discs, the macula, and also include blood vessels of the eye because our blood, the blood vessels of our eyes are attached to the eyes from the back part of the eye, from the posterior part of the eye. It is the posterior portion of the eyes you have the, uh, the you, have, you have all those capillaries, the venous, the arterials, all attached to the eyes from the back part of the eyes. Now, then we do what we call Tunnel We do another test called tunnel matrix. Um, it's T O N O M E T R Y. Tunnel matrix. The tunnel matrix is a test that measures the intraocular pressure of the eyes. Now, again, we want to look at the intraocular of the eyes. What the eyes normal intraocular pressure is between 10 to 21. So this tonometry measures um, the intraocular pressure of the eye, ROP. And this should be between 10 to 21. That's the range for the ROP. At this stage of the index study, you want to know all the pressure of the body. What's the ROP? What's the ICP normal level, the intracranial pressure, the intraocular pressure? You all know all these things to your fingertip. Now, for this tonometry, it is elevated with glaucoma. When we have glaucoma, in the case of glaucoma, it will be above tunnel one. And there are two types of glaucoma, closed angle and open angle. But in most cases, it is Elevated with the angle closure glaucoma, which is the closed angle. The angle closure glaucoma in, in all the cases of that is always increased in the uh, in the angle closure, closure glaucoma. Then we have the corneos, the, the gonioscope. Now the gonioscope is um G-O-N-I-O-S-C-O-P-Y. Gonioscope. It is an eye test or an eye procedure that allows visualization of the aridocornea. The, the that is, it visualizes both the areas of the eye and the cornea of the eye angle or the anterior tumor of the eyes. So this particular gonioscope, it, pro it provides for us a descriptional view of the aries and the cornea of the eye, or we call it the aridocornea angle of the eye, the aridocornea of the eye, it does that for us. Then we have the slit lamp examination, now the fifth one, the slit lamp 
examination. The slip lamp examination it is an eye procedure that allows visualization of the, of the anterior portion of the eyes, such as the cornea, the anterior chamber, and the lens. So, you have two different procedures that can give us a view of the entire eyes. You have one that just look at the posterior part of the eyes, which is the ophthalmoscopy that looks at the, the eye's fundus, which includes the retina, includes the blood vessels, includes the optic discs, and the macula. Ophthalmoscopy visualizes the posterior part of the eye. Then the last one, the slit lamp examination, it gives us a, gives a direct vision of the, one, the anterior of the eye. And that includes the cornea, the lens, and the anterior chamber of the eyes. Those are all portions of the one, the anterior part of the eyes. Now, um, I want to also note that uh, visual equity, we want to do the visual equity using the standard of the Rosenberg charts. Both testing kit can be used through a distance. Um, the signaling chart method, the client will stand 20 feet away from the signaling chart. While the Rosenberg chart, the client will hold the charts 40 inches away from the eyes. A good difference between the signaling and that of the and, and that of the visual equity. In the visual equity, the client stands 20 feet away. In the Rosenberg, the client holds the chart in their hands. 14 inches away from the eyes, an endless point. Now, um, the Rosenberg method, um, the client will stand, will hold a chart in the hands, 14 inches away from the eye that is being tested. Um, you have, you have to increase the lighting in the, in the place the test is being done, and other things. Then you have other medication. The client will take anti-cholinergic medication. This medication, whatever eye procedure, we always use these drugs. The anti-cholinergic, the anti-cholinergic medication. They are used to decrease the fluid in the eyes. It dries up the eyes. That is exactly what these medications do. These drugs, example, include the atropine atomic solution. Atropine. Example is the atropine, the atropine atomic solution. Atomic solution. Um, you. Also have another one we call um, okay. So this medication will provide called madriasis. Uh, it produces what we call madriasis. Remember when you do an eye test, they will ask you, do you have someone to drive you back? Because for the eye exam, 
this drugs is placed in the eyes, that is the atropine or the use in another type of the antacrylic medications. These medications would create what we call maduration of the eyes, meaning it dilates the pupil of the eyes. So when that happens, you cannot see for a little time, you cannot drive for at least for some time. So um, these drugs will dilate the pupil of the eye. Um, it can cause cycloplegia. So these drugs will cause uh, madriasis and also cause cycloplegia. What is cycloplegia? In cycloplegia, um, what happening in there is um, the medication is creating a ciliary paralysis. Meaning the cilia of the eyes cannot move. The cilia of the eyes become dormant. Meaning, even if you are carrying your hand in the eye like this, the eye will blink because the ciliary front of the eye is inactive when you're using the drugs atropine or when you're using the anti-corporate medication during eye, as, during eye examination. So you're going to have the eyes in there and uh, the eyes will undergo called madriasis and ciliary or what we call sarcopedia, ciliary inactivation. So these are things you don't remember for the eyes. And uh, we use this medication, that is the anti-colonial medications during eye exam or eye surgery. Um, we also want to provide the average effect of the drugs. Educate the client on the advert effect, which includes um, there will be reduced eye accommodation, there will be blurred vision, there will be uh, photophobia when you take this medication before the eye exam. Now, um, the editors will not or might not bring these things to you in the, the way in which it is written in the book. They're going to bring it to you in different case scenario. A client who's going for an eye examination. And the doctor placed the client on atropine atomic solution. What is the nurse's most important action in here? The most important action is for the nurse to explain to the client the, the adverse effect or the side effect of the medication, how this drug will be used, and what are those expected findings that the client must be expecting after the drugs can be used. Because when we use the medication for an eye exam, up to an hour, so I'm telling me the client cannot do it, the client cannot drive, they cannot move. The client will need someone to drive them to the house or they will need an Uber to go home. So the client must understand this thing before the medication is placed in the client's eye for the eye procedure. You also want to make sure that uh, clients on the medication, on this medication, um, there will be or systemic absorption, which could lead to anticholinergic effects. The client will have so much anticholinergic effects, which include tachycardia. The client might have tachycardia, and they might have decreased eye secretion. Because I said these drugs are provided to reduce the eye secretion. That's what happening in this uh, when you're using these medications. Um, another thing under here is 
The client should wash their hands before and after using this medication. The client should quit smoking while on this medication. The client should limit alcohol intake while on this medication. The client should keep their blood pressure, the blood glucose, and the cholesterol under control while on these medications. The client should eat foods rich in uh, antioxidants such as green leafy vegetables. The client here, you should initiate referrals to social services, support groups, and reduce vision resources. And the client will need to add some Enhancement in the life of the village, establish rapport to other group for some help in the long run. Any question? Under hearing loss, hearing loss is difficult in hearing or interpreting speech and other sounds due to problem in the middle or the inner ear. Now we have three kinds of hearing losses. There are three types. The first one becomes what we call the conductive hearing loss. Conductive hearing loss. We have our sensory, sensory neural hearing loss and we have the mixed hearing loss. We have the third one is the mixed hearing loss. Now the first one is the conductive hearing loss. Let's look at the first one. In conductive hearing loss, um, it is an alteration in the middle ear that blocks sound waves before they can reach the cochlea of the inner ear. So the cochlea is the inner ear bone. And now uh, when you have conductive hearing loss, there is a problem with the middle ear. So our ears are in this fashion. So you have our ear like this. Um, you have the ear in this fashion. And you have uh, the ear canal coming like this. And you have something here like this. Now, this becomes the ear canal. This sound wave leads from here enter in the ear through here. It passes through this membrane, it reaches here where you have the boundary between the middle and the inner ear. Now, at this boundary, it is where when we hear a sound, the sound wave travels to the ear and bounces on these bones. These bones contain nerves. This nerve will collect the information send it to the brain and the brain will interpret it and will understand what the sound is making. So as our lips move, our lips create sounds and these sounds our lips create, these sounds are heard by our ear. But it is not that it goes through a systemic process that is very fast, sometimes it's very phenomenal to understand. Now, in the conductive, in the, in the conductive hearing loss, there is an alteration in the middle ear. So this middle ear portion, there is a problem in there. So this problem will create
create a blockade, it will alter, it creates an impairment that the inner ear cannot get what sounds are being made of the or someone's of an environment. So when that occurs, we are talking about congenital hearing loss. So again, it is and it is an alteration in the middle ear that blocks sound wave from reaching the other part of the other part of the ear. So once sound wave cannot cross this portion to reach this becomes um, our inner ear. So the boundary between the inner ear and the outer ear is where the problem lies. And once it's a problem between that boundary, because that boundary must receive the echo, the echo must bounce on that middle ear bone so that it can be collected and sent over to the inner ear. So once the sound cannot cross over that particular bone to the inner ear, that is a complete cause called conductive hearing loss because the cochlea, it is what's supposed to receive sound wave from outside. So when there's a barrier between the middle ear and the inner ear, the cochlea cannot get the message. And once the message does not reach the cochlea, we cannot interpret sound waves in our ear. So that's what happened in the case of congenital hearing loss. Now, in a, then in the sensory neural hearing loss, in sensory neural hearing loss, there is an alteration in the inner ear, the auditory nerve, and the hearing center of the brain. You remember I talked to you, I said to you, um, the difference between the conductive and the sensory is, in conductive hearing loss, the bones has problem, or the bones have problem and that, can, that cause the ear to have an impairment in receiving the message. In sensory hearing loss, there is, the condition is more or like uh, of nerve problem or how the brain can interpret. So when you have a cognitive hearing loss, the, the bones that are supposed to receive the sound wave, that bone or those bones are damaged. Now when you have a sensory hearing loss, the bones might be correct, the structure, the structural portion of the ears might be correct, but the senses, the nerves, the brain that are supposed to interpret the sound wave, those portions of the body or the brain are damaged. Let me just tell you something. Let me just show you the easiest way. So, in conductive hearing loss, bones have problems. There's a bone, the bones have problems. What are those bones? The cochlea cannot get the message because there is an obstruction that prevents the cochlea from receiving the message from the outside. For the middle ear. Now, in sensory hearing, in sensory neural hearing loss, the nerves, there is a nerve problem. Which nerve? The auditory nerve, crown nerve eight. The auditory nerve has a problem because this nerve should get to the brain. It's the nerve that is responsible for hearing or the brain center. 
the brain center for hearing is impaired. So you, when you have sensory, sensory hearing loss, your ear can hear the bones are all in tight. But guess what happened? Uh, your nerve or the brain signal that, that, trans, that, that interpret the hearing or the sound wave are damaged. In that case, your ear will not have a, your other ear will not have a problem, but your inner ear and the bones and the nerve in there will have an impairment. Unlike the conductive hearing loss, which you're going to have bones problem. That's what happened in this case. Now, then the last step is the mixed hearing loss. The last step becomes the mixed hearing loss. Now, in the mixed hearing loss, what's happening in the mixed hearing loss? In the mixed hearing loss, it is both combined. So when you have mixed hearing loss, the bones in the ear become damaged and the nerves are all damaged. So this could be due to infection. You could have infection of the middle ear that would damage the bone. If this infection is not uh, corrected, or if it is not, if it does not heal, what happens? It gets complicated and it will affect the nerves and the brain center that might impair the entire hearing loss. So in the sensory neural hearing loss, the nerves and brain symptoms will create the impairment. In the conductive hearing loss, the bone, the cochlear bone or the middle ear bones will create this, the, 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 the hearing impairment. And in the mixed hearing loss, both, this, both the bones and the nerves and the brain symptoms might have problems that might lead to hearing impairment. That's what happened in this case. So um, you want to make sure that uh, you invite the client not to place any object in the ear, like cotton-tipped uh, swab. You cannot put cotton-tipped swab in the ear. Get a client to have an orthologist remove any objects lodged in the ear. Use a commercial ceremonialitic medical. Uh, like you have the ceremonialitic, we call it ceremonialitic products. Ceremonialitics or latex medication. You might, the ceremony is the ear wax that uh, remains in the ear for a longer time and it causes, uh, sometimes it causes hearing impairment. But uh, they are there to protect our ear. And if they get too much, they can cause impact, they're gonna become impacted. They can have, um, uh, we can have some hearing impairment. Um, advise the client to keep the volume as low as possible when the client is wearing headphones. So sometimes you wear those headphones and you put the music up so loud and your ear are getting damaged, but you will know you want to enjoy the music. That's not musical enjoyment. You are just damaging your ear. Um, for the conductive hearing loss, we do that. We, 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 we do history taking. In conductive hearing loss, we do history taking. 
we do um older age we do or uh, it can be uh, caused by autosclerosis for the older age for the sensory hearing loss it can be caused by prolonged exposure to loud noise you are being exposed to loud noise those who work in those big factories where you have those industrials industrial areas they work like 16 hours a day 12 hours a day and you hear just the sound in the ear do like you went to amazon i either work at amazon when i come out when i come out of bed in the morning my ears are all locked it happens or like you or like you, or like you go to the club and the music is playing so loud when you come out of the club in the morning your ears are almost like they are all like locked so you gotta take some time to open for ear to get we accustomed to the normal atmosphere so imagine if you're a dj you play eight hours a day at a bar six days a week so imagine what happens to you or you work at amazon these things have effect on our body so you have all the other medication so sensory neural hearing loss can also be due to medication because drugs work on our drugs work on our nerve and on our, our brain system infection infection can also be the cause of sensory neural hearing loss you have older age press by causes so press by causes once you get the word press by press by me uh, increase in age so um Presbyopia is uh, uh, eye impairment due to increase in age. Presbycopsis is ear impairment due to increase in age. Now, these things have effect on our body. For the conductive hearing loss, um, you will hear better in another environment. Okay, so let's look at this. This is very important. Let me take my hand to go over this. It's important to look at this. Futures. <clears throat> conductive hearing loss. In the con in conductive hearing loss, the client will hear better in a noisy environment than in a quiet environment. The client hears better, hears better in noisy environment. Compared to a client environment. Um, you want to speak to the client softly. In this case, there is an obstruction that causes the ear bones not to get the sound wave from outside. So the client should be spoken to um, in a in a in a quiet and a simple manner. Speak softly. Um, the tympanic membranes, there will be holes on our tympanic membranes. On our here, there will be holes. Holes on the tympanic membrane. There will be holes on it. Um, on that there also, you're going to have... Um, the Ryan test will demonstrate air conduction of sound less than bone conduction. In the Ryan test, if you do the Ryan test on here, 
the right test. AC will be less than or equal to BC. Under here, there will be AC will be less than or equal to BC. Under the kinetic hearing loss, when it comes to uh, uh, the Rhine test. The Weber test will lateralize it to the affected ear. If you do the Weber test, the Weber test will lateral uh, this the the, the 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 Weber test lateralizes lateralizes on the bar ear. Remember, we, we talk all these tests, so um when you do the, the Weber test, you remember the right test. The right test is where I told you you place the objects on the mystoid bone and in front of the ear. And the Weber test, you put, you put the twin forks in the middle of the hair, on the hair bone. So I'm not going to it because I, I, want, I want to go and look at it on YouTube. If you look at it, that day when I ask you to look at it, we should be good, we should be good with it. So we should we understand what I'm saying here. These are important things for the end. The end will ask you, a plan of a condolent hearing loss, how the plan, what would be the time test result, the plan or computer a rhyme test. AC will be less than or equal to BC. And you know what is AC, you know what is BC, you know what? How the tests are performed under here. In this test, when you do someone, someone who has condolent hearing loss, if you complete a rubber test for them, the test result, there will be a localization on the bar here. Now, um, then the diagnosis of acoustic neuroma can be, oh, so I'm sorry, in this, okay, so that is for the conductive hearing loss. Let's look at the sensory hearing loss. For the sensory hearing loss, Sensory neuro, sensory neuro hearing loss. For this sensory neuro hearing loss, um, the client will hear ringing, roaring, humming, humming in the ear, like tinnitus. The client will hear tinnitus in the ear for sensory. For conductive, the client hears better in the noisy area than in the quiet area. Under here, the client will be dizzy. There will be dizziness under here. The client will feel um, poor. The client will hear poorly in noisy area. So under here, the client hears poorly. In noisy area, in noisy environment. So the client hears poorly in noisy environment, but the client will hear in a quiet environment. Unlike the conductive hearing loss, where the client will hear better in noisy area than in a quiet environment. I hope you understand the difference between sensory neuro and the conductive hearing loss. Now, under here also, you speak to the client loudly 
On our schedule, the client will need the student loud, in a loud voice, loudly speaking, on our ear. On our Because the hearing loss, speak to the client softly. On our schedule, speak to the client in a loud tone. In this case, there is no otoscopic findings. Now, under here, the sensory, the RAND test demonstrates a better response of air conduction being higher than bone conduction. So under here, AC is higher than BC. This is the normal finding of the RAND test. So on the sensory hearing loss, AC is higher than BC under here. On the other side, BC was lesser or equal to AC. Under the sensory hearing loss, um, that the, the Weber test, the Weber test, lateral lysis, Lateral lysis on the unaffected ear, meaning on the good ear, on the good ear. Unlike the condolentary loss, it lateralized on the bad ear. In this case, the lateralization will occur on the good ear. I hope you understand what I'm saying here. Now, um, in the web of uh, the sensory neural hearing loss, diagnosis of acoustic neuroma can be made. Under here, the client might have tumor, which we call acoustic neuroma, which is, a, which is a tumor formation within the ear. Acoustic neuroma can be diagnosed in the case of sensory neural hearing loss. Um, under here, we do an audiometry, which is a test that identifies whether hearing loss is sensual or conductive. It's very important here. So when we have a hearing, uh, we have a hearing problem, we do a test called um, the first test we we'll do is the uh, is the audiometry, the audio the Audiometry. So this audiometry test determines whether we are having conductive hearing loss or we are having sensory neuron hearing loss. That's the function of the audiometry. It's the first test you want to do. So a test that differentiates or diagnoses whether we are having uh, Cognitive hearing loss or sensory neural hearing loss will be called the audiometry. In this test, um, we want to use an audiometry when we are screening for hearing loss in a school or older adult setting. Um, we want to assess the client's ability to hear various frequencies, high and low frequencies, that is high and low pitch frequencies at various decibel. Short or just loud tones, 
So we'll have these sounds, and the time will tell us which sound they are, they are hearing. Loud noise, low noise, different pitch, and other things we do, we do test on. We have the client wear an audio meter headphones and face away from the examiner. And then when the sounds are made, the clients interpret the sounds heard. Um, we have the client indicate what they are hearing, the kind of tones, how high, how low the client is. The client also tells us as the sounds are being made. We do what we call a tympanogram. We do tympanogram, tympano, tympanogram test. A tympanogram procedure, it is a procedure that measures the mobility of the tympanic membrane and middle ear structures relative to sound to diagnose the disorder of the middle ear. So this is, the tympanic membrane is found in the middle ear. So when we do this particular tympanogram, we try to, to know how good our tympanic membrane is. Then we do otoscopic. Otoscopic. In otoscopic, it is a procedure that allows visualization of the ear external auditory canal. It also tells us, shows us the tympanic membrane. It shows us the myelus bone through the tympanic membrane. So during this test, we um, select a speculum that we insert into the ear canal to tell us a lot about what's happening in the ear. So these are things we do for the ear, for the ear. So the client should wear hearing aids. Hearing aids amplify sounds but do not help the client to interpret what they say or what they hear. So hearing aids only help to amplify. Now, this is important for the English. Hearing aids only amplify the sound. It does not interpret what sound is being heard. Hearing aids amplification of sounds in a loud environment can be distracting and disturbing. So if they, we can't use hearing aids, they cannot use it in a very loud, noisy, uh, in a very noisy environment. It will, it will create discomfort for them. Um, use the client lower setting that allows hearing without feedback to clean the ear mode and use mild soap and water while keeping the hearing aid dry. When the hearing aid is not in use for an extended period of time, turn it off and remove the battery to conserve battery power and avoid corrosion of the hearing aid. Keep replacement batteries on hand at all times when you are having hearing aid. When you are doing tapanoplastic or maringoplastic. Now, these two procedures are done for clients with conductive hearing impairment. We can do for them tapanoplastic or maringoplastic. Now, both of them in the tympanoplastic, it is a surgical procedure that reconstructs the middle ear structures. In tympanoplastic, it is a procedure that reconstructs 
and the mirror here. Tampano plastic. It reconstruct the mirror here. The mirror ears. Now, in uh, Maringo plastic, Maringo plastic, this reconstruct just the eardrum. So it, 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 it repairs the eardrum. So place a sterile ear packing post operatively. Position the client flat with the operative ear facing up for 12 hours. So after this procedure, the client lies flat and the affected ear is placed upward. I'm going to read it here. The affected ear is upward after the Marengo plastic. Um, for over 12 hours. Tell the client to avoid air travel and forceful straining, coughing, sneezing of the mouth or with the mouth open. Um, if the client teach the client to cover the ears with a dressing before washing hair and do not allow fluid to enter the ear. Remind the clients that they will hear less while packing is in the ear. These are things you remove from the hearing aid. Any question?